All right, let's, let's get into what we're talking about now. This, we're going to talk about Walk This Way. It's a new series. If you're new, it's a good time to come. Jim did an unbelievable, great job with politics over the last couple of weeks, but we're ready to move on. So walk, we want to talk about walking this way. What's it look like to walk this way? The way that Jesus is asking us to walk. What's it look like, okay? Now, in, in setting this up for this series, I want to read to you a piece of an article that somebody sent to me. Jim and Maurice and Aisha and I, we get podcasts sent to us every once in a while from you guys, or we get an article sent to, to us, and, and it's like, hey, this will help in your next sermon. And, and you know, we like that. We, we'll take any help we can get. Well, this one was a little um, depressing. And so, and, and so uh, and a friend of mine sent it to me. It's from this church. And I'm reading through it. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm not going to tell you his name, but I'm just going, come on, Jeff, this is tough. So it says that, it says, it says, if you're in the same boat as the typical American, your dilemma might look something like this. You're enduring some type of chronic illness, overstressed and rushed, unrewarding job, little or no savings, greatly in debt, fat mortgage, two vehicles in the driveway with a five or seven year loan on each, lots of gadgets and toys to keep you occupied, huge TV, little free time for yourselves due to your career and demanding spouse, weekends filled with church and or senseless entertainment, and a bathroom cabinet heavily stacked with pharmaceutical Tic Tacs to help cope with the emptiness of it all. That's what we get to receive. You guys get to read whatever you want. We get this kind of stuff, you know. So now, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to skip the rest. The last service, I read the rest. And I thought, you know what? This is too depressing because he just keeps on going with here. Let me just paint the picture of the American story. All right. But there's a point in it that he later on, he says, one of the points that he's making is he says, or you'll make it to old age with this all too common deathbed regret, wishing you had the courage to live a life true to yourself, not the life of what others expected of you. Okay. Or you'll make it to this old age with this all too common deathbed regret, wishing you had the courage to live a life true to yourself, not the life of which others expected of you. You guys, that's, that caught me. Out of all the things, because he lists off all kind, a bunch more stuff. He said, eventually you're all going to die of a heart disease or Alzheimer's. And I'm like, okay, that's, going, yeah, that's a little dramatic. There's some of the truth to it, but still. This part's the part that really stuck with me because this is part of our quest. Our quest in our life is wishing we had the courage to live a life true to myself, not what other people expect me. I want to live a life true to myself. Well, on that quest, what we do is we start to figure out what's a life true to myself and we start going down roads to say, well, that's more true to myself. Who cares what my parents expected me? Who cares what my friends expected me? Who cares what my church expected me? This is my true self. And you start walking down that road. And that road might lead towards a whim that you've got or an emotional high that you have towards something and then it'll turn towards another way and you kind of go, how did I get to this point? Well, I was just following what I felt was true to myself. And in the meantime, our marriages are left in our wake. Our children are left in our wake. Our, 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 our friendships are left in our wake. Our jobs are left in our wake because we're on that quest for what's true to ourselves. Well, here's the, th here's the thought, and this is what we're going to kind of couch this whole series with. What a, if Jesus set up shop here, and if we believe that Jesus set up shop right here, and if he has, he's settled into our heart and our soul, and if we're filtering it through Jesus, is that our true way? Is that our true selves? 
I think Jesus, Jesus is telling us, yes, this is your true self. You might think that it's these things or just what people have expected put, put on you, but this is your true self. And so if we filter it through Jesus in what is our true self, then how do we walk that way? The way that he wants us to walk because he resides within us. Well, that's what we want to be talking about, walking this way. Now, we're going to put this in the heart of, 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 of some scripture that has been given to us that's been a huge blessing for us. See, we're going to look at the life of Peter. Now, Peter was one of Jesus' great disciples. He was, he's listed first all the time in the list of disciples. It's Peter is always first. Um, not that first was the one that mattered. Last shall be first. But he's listed first. Peter was also a, a, someone that was on the kind of the inner circle for Jesus, where he spent a lot more time with a few people in the inner circle, and Peter was part of that. So if you think about it, we get some great, we get a lot of Peter's life. We get to learn a lot about his life through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, the guys that set out to write about Jesus in his life. We get to learn a lot about Peter from that. But we get something else that's even, that's, that's really cool. We get Peter's letters. Because there's two letters in the New Testament, first and second Peter. And these two letters share the perspective of, Jesus, of Peter's heart and his mind and his soul when it comes to all the things that he was taught. He walked and he was, he, he was an eyewitness to everything Jesus did, an eyewitness. And from that eyewitness account, from that eyewitness account of his death and his resurrection from the dead, Peter now gets to write this stuff down. He's saying, and this is most important. And so we're going to spend some time looking at how do we walk this way, looking at the perspective of somebody that walked this way. So let's pray together and we'll dig into, the, into Peter and First Peter and his life and his thoughts. Father, we, we thank you for this time and we, we do pray that you would bless this whole series as, as Jim and Mo and I just keep working through this and looking through the, the letters that Peter wrote. We thank you that you're, you inspired Peter in writing these. We know that he wasn't writing them to us at the time. He was just writing them to churches, but you, inspi you inspired him. And now we can take that today. And we pray that you would speak to us and help us to take a step closer to you as a result of it. It's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, well, before we get into 1 Peter, chapter one, first verse, before we get into that part, let's set the stage because I got to set the stage for the next four or five weeks of what was happening at this time, okay? So let's set the stage. It's the Roman Empire. We know that. First century Palestine, the Roman Empire, the Romans, they had control over everything. They had control over most of our lives and what, we, what was happening in that time. They had control over it. And so the Roman Empire knew what was going on and they told people what to do. Now, within that, people a lot of times ask, well, where did, how, did, how did religion happen within that? Did the Romans control that part too? Well, here's the deal. Romans, the Roman Empire didn't care that much about the fact that people worshipped other gods because there were, people were worshipping other gods all the time. Every region had a god that they would worship. And then they'd worship their own family gods, their ancestors. They worshipped those gods too. And so the Roman Empire knew that that was happening. And they, they kind of just kind of, said, okay, that's fine. So long as you also worship the Roman gods and especially that you worship Caesar as a, as a god, that you would worship the emperor as a god. That's what, they, that's, that's what they asked of everybody within the Roman Empire. So that's happening in first century Palestine. Well, get this now. Now Jesus comes along and Jesus lives and he dies and then he rises from the grave 
And at that moment when he rises from the grave, that's the big deal, you guys. We would not be in this room right now if it wasn't for the resurrection. Because think about it, if he would have just died on the cross, that would, this, this whole thing would have just died out and it would have been a good idea from a good man. But he rose from the grave. And when Jesus rose from the grave, everybody stood up. They just said, what, what is, what's happening here? The people that were closest to him got to then see him. He appeared before hundreds of people and those people that, that, that changed their life as they see that Jesus conquered death. And that was the beginning of a group of people that were so excited about that truth that Jesus is who he says he is, that he truly is the son of God that conquered the grave, that came back to life, that ascended into heaven. When they saw all of that, that was the beginning of the movement, the ecclesia, the church that Jesus, that Jesus talked about in Matthew. This was his movement. This was it. These people were, were so excited about the truth of who Jesus was. Other people started gathering around too. Those people that maybe were there when he was feeding 5,000 or maybe were there even at the crucifixion, those people joined in. And so now those people are excited about what's happening saying, tell me more. You saw him? You saw him risen from the grave? And so they tell me more about that. And, the, and then it, it, it stretched out further. A guy named Paul comes along and Paul starts planting churches and then he starts writing letters to those churches. That's where we get a lot of the New Testament. Paul's writing these letters to these churches and Paul's reaching out to Gentiles. So now it's Jews and Gentiles coming together and they're saying, tell me more about this Jesus. At the same time, guys like Matthew and Mark and Luke and even John, they start writing this stuff down. Because they're saying, man, we, you got to know about this life. And they're writing it down and people are grabbing hold of just pieces of that information. And they're just, they're, they're saying, give me more. They were thirsting, thirsting for it. That was the early church. Well, here's what happens. The Roman Empire hears about this early church and they don't like one thing. The fact that they're worshiping one God and it's not Caesar. And so the Roman Empire is, is, is frustrated at what's happening and, and they're one, one kind of diabolical leader away from annihilating what's happening. Well, here comes Nero. Nero comes into the picture and Nero starts to, he starts to, he looks at this Christian group and he's going, it's just a bunch of superstitious people. And so he's saying, let's knock these guys out. So he starts to torture the Christians and he starts to throw them in jail and he starts to murder the Christians. So Nero's going, going after it. Anybody that had those fragments of, of the, the, the stuff that Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John wrote, man, those guys were killed on the spot because, of the, because they had that information. And then he burned that information. Man, when you think about it, the fact that 2,000 years later, we're sitting in a church and we're talking from that, those scriptures and we are, we are talking about Jesus and the resurrection after what Nero tried to do, man, that is a God thing. That should turn any one of us towards the Lord of going, how did that survive Nero and his desire to annihilate it all? Well, what happened is the church went underground. The church started just, they dove underground. And they said, we got to do this secretly now because we're, we're threatened. And so that oppression, that oppression was happening and the church is going underground and it's spreading out far and wide that way. You couldn't stop the excitement about who Jesus was, but, you, but they did it secretly underground. Well, here's where Peter comes in. 
Because Peter knows all this stuff's happening. He know, he's seen it all from his life. And he comes in and he's going, ah, these young Christians, these young Jews and Gentiles that are calling themselves Christians now, these young people, man, they, they, they have a faith, but will that faith survive in the midst of the oppression, in the midst of the persecution? Will this faith survive? And so Peter said, man, I have got to encourage them. I got to tell them, this is how your faith is going to survive in the midst of the hardship of life. Let me, let me write these two letters to tell you about it. And that's where we get first and second Peter, okay? So that's what we're gonna be, that's where, that's where we're coming from over these next four or five weeks. As you read first and second Peter, that's the background to which he writes these letters to these churches that are scattered saying, I gotta encourage you in the midst of the oppression, in the midst of the persecution. Okay, so here we go. First Peter, it says this. It says, I, Peter, am an apostle on assignment by Jesus, the Messiah. I love it. When you think about it and you think, Peter, he's, he's going to tell us the things that are the most important that he saw with his own eyes. And so he's going, I am an apostle on assignment by Jesus, the Messiah, writing to exile scattered to the four winds. No one is missing, not one forgotten. God the Father has his eyes on each of you and is determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May everything good from God be yours. Now I'm gonna stop right there and just say, when you're reading scripture, you guys, when you're reading scripture and, and you're reading something like this and you know that background, it's easy to say, well, this doesn't apply to me. I mean, we're not, we're not oppressed and, and, and persecuted like that early church was. He's talking to those people that were oppressed and persecuted. It's important to know that. It's important to know that history and that culture behind, behind what we read. But we also need to recognize that God's character does not change. And so when we're reading this and when, when God responds to these people, that character is the same then that it is today. And so while we might not have the kinds of hardships that they had, we have hardship. We have stuff that each one of us are struggling with and we can apply that character of God right to our lives as well. So we can read it again and say, no one is missing. Not one of you is forgotten. God is not going to forget any one of you. God the Father has his eyes on each of you and is determined by the work of the Spirit to keep you obedient through the sacrifice of Jesus. May, every good, may, may everything good from God be yours. Man, that's got to be an encouraging piece. We've got to receive that with so much encouragement that God is looking at each one of us. Now, Here's what it says next. I'm going to skip to the, the New Revised Standard Version for this next part because I love the wording for this. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who are being protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. That is one long run-on sentence, you guys, that he would get a bad grade in English class on. But you can just tell it's Peter's excitement over this news and this truth that he needs to get out to everybody. It says, in this you rejoice even now for a little while while you had to suffer various trials so that the genuineness of your faith being more precious than gold that though perishable is tested by the fire may be found to result in a praise and glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And then this part that's so beautiful. Although you have not seen him, you love him. 
And even though you not see him now, you believe in him and rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, we read all of that and a lot of times what we'll do when we're reading scripture like that is we'll just go, okay, those are the flowery Christian churchy words and I'm not sure what to do with them. And now let's go on to something that I can understand. Well, the next line, especially looking at the message that Eugene Peterson's paraphrase of it, the next line is what we're actually really looking for. The next line is the one that we are going, okay, now this is what I need. I need something concrete. I need to know how to walk this way. Give me something that I can walk home with right now and just go, okay, I've got this in my hands. The next line says this, so roll up your sleeves. So roll up your sleeves. So I just mentioned a bunch of flowery stuff, but now is the time to roll up your sleeves because this is what we need you to do. This is what it's gonna look like to live this life for Jesus. This is what I've picked up through all those years of walking with Jesus. Roll up your sleeves because here is this life. And we want that. The rest of that's flowery stuff that we don't care about. We want this stuff. And the reason why we do is because we want something super tangible that we know, okay, here's what I'm doing. We're living out an equation that I've said in here before that is just, that haunts us. An equation that says that it's my performance plus what other people think of me that equals my self-worth. When you look at that type of equation, we've been, we've been looking at that since we were in grade school. My performance plus what my teacher or any people think of me equals my self-worth. And we look at that before God. My performance plus what other people think of me equals my self-worth before God. And see, we want, we, we just so, and we just give into that. And we say, I got to figure out my performance. I got to roll up my sleeves. Tell me to walk this way because that's going to be my performance that ultimately I stand before the Lord with. That's what we're doing. But Peter knows something. Peter knows that, that he, he's saying, you guys, if your idea of living this life out is gritting your teeth and saying, I'm going to have a faith that I can muster up and I'm gonna be as obedient as I can and that will get me through. Peter is looking at him and going, it's not going to get you through. It didn't get me through. That's not gonna be what gets you through to just roll up your sleeves and just say, I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to have enough faith to stand the test of time. It's not gonna get you through. He knows, Peter knows that hardship comes. He knows that, 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 that uh, time with a doctor where you walk into that doctor's office, he knows that that time is coming where you don't want to hear what the doctor has to say. He knows that your marriage is going to go through the rocky, rocky, rocky times. He knows that. And if you're just gritting your teeth with obedience and saying, I'm going to lean on my faith, it's not going to work. He knows that. He knows that in friendships that, that, that it, it's, it's not going to work. He knows that, that, that you might walk into your, your boss's office thinking you're getting a review. And the next thing you know, the, there's three more bosses and an HR person. You realize, wait a minute, this isn't a review. This is a firing. He knows that that kind of stuff will come. And where's your faith going to be there? He knows for you guys that have kids that are saying, oh, I made it through the terrible twos and now it'll be easier. He knows that it won't be easier. He knows that middle school's coming. <laughs> and we laugh, but high school's after that, and that's even harder. He, he knows that. 
And he knows that if we lean on our faith and that's it, and then we roll up our sleeves and we lean on our obedience, he knows that's what falls first. In the midst of that kind of stuff, our obedience falls. In the midst of that kind of stuff, our faith falls. And so then where are we at? And he's looking at his people scattered and he's going, where will you guys be if that's where you're at? And so what he does is he sets it up first before he gets to roll up your sleeves. He sets it up. All those flowery words that we read, he has an intent for those words. He says, I need you to know this first. Before you get to rolling up your sleeves, I need you to know this first. And you know what he does? He sets up a foundation, a foundation that Jesus set up for him, a foundation that he forgot about all the time and he had to come back to, a foundation that he knows the churchgoers forget about, even though they know it, they forget about it. And so he sets up that foundation first. He says, it has to start here. Because Peter, Peter, everything Peter does, he he filters it through salvation. He filters it through that resurrection. We sometimes think of salvation as just that day far down the road when we get to see Jesus face to face. You guys, salvation starts now. Eternal life starts now. On earth as it is in heaven, the kingdom of God is now. And he's got that in his mind. He's going, man, this is this, is this life that I have for you now. And I want to make sure that you guys hold on to this. So he sets up the foundation for it first before we get to there. So, so you guys, I'm the prop guy, I know. And I bring props in for these sermons. And, and you guys, you know, I'll, I'll have people come back later and say, remember that time you hit that golf ball in church? That was such a great illustration. Or when you brought that garage in, you guys will come up to me and say that. And I'll say, do you remember my point? No, I don't remember your point. But it was such a good illustration. Okay, that's great. Well, this is the deal. Today, this isn't a good illustration. It's actually kind of a crappy illustration, but, um, but the, 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 the point is what I want you to get from this one. I, 10 years from now, I want you to go, I remember when you talked about the foundation and I remember when you brought those buckets in. I remember that because I remember what, you, what, what Peter was talking about in laying the foundation. See, when you're, when you're on a mission trip, and you know, I've built houses on lots of mission trips, well, here's what you do. You have this wooden kind of frame, and then you pour the concrete into that frame. And then when, you, when that concrete hard settles and hardens, that's when you can build the house on top of that foundation. Well, in, when you're on that mission trip, you have to put rocks in, you have to put water in, and you have to put cement in. And when you put those things together and you mix it all up, that is the foundation. Well, this is what Peter does through all those flowery words. He lays the foundation for each one of us and he says, do not forget this. This changes everything when you remember this. And so the first thing he does is he takes rocks and, 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 he, and he pours the rocks into the, into the, into the frame. Sorry, it'll be worse when the cement comes. Um, so he says, so, so he pours the rocks in and this is what he says, this is, this is the rocks by his great mercy, we're going back to that flowery stuff. He has given us a new birth into a living hope. By his great mercy, he's given us a new birth into a living hope. See, God's great mercy, that mercy that God is pouring out on us. See, God sees us as broken people. He knows we are broken. He knows we turn away from him. He knows that sin separates us from him. And he's going, man, we are a broken people. And by his mercy, he extends that mercy to us. 
so that we can connect back to him. There's, I, I heard someone write about mercy. He says, I read this from mercy. He says, mercy is that pity that God shows towards humans in spite of their sin and because of their total helplessness to right their wrongs. His mercy stimulates their new birth and their new birth stimulates a living hope. See, he's talking about this new birth that's gonna come from a God that sees us in our brokenness and says, and I extend mercy to you and I extend it to you again. And tomorrow I'll extend it to you again. There's an Old Testament passage in Lamentations that says his mercies are new every morning. And I love what it says. It says, and great is thy faithfulness. Great is his faithfulness. We always think of our faith in God, but think about God's faithfulness. That he knows each one of us. He sees, like we read, each one of us. And he extends mercy today to you. This morning when you woke up, God extended mercy to you. And tomorrow when you wake up, he will extend mercy to you again. And he will keep doing that because he is faithful. And Peter, who knows how many times he screwed up, recognized that our faithful God extends that mercy to us every single day. Now that mercy comes at a cost and that's why we can't cheapen it. We can't cheapen his grace. We can't cheapen his mercy and say, well, because he did that, I can do whatever he want. It came at a, at a, at a cost. See there with the rock, then you add the water. And this next part that he wrote you can picture him on the beach as Jesus appears to him after he rises from the, from the dead. And you can picture Peter kicking sand on that beach, thinking about the foolishness of who he is and who he was. And then he writes this. He has given us a new birth into a living hope. That word living hope, you guys, come on. He's picturing Jesus that living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That mercy comes at a cost and it comes through the life of, and, and death of Jesus Christ. But he's risen. He's risen. And that statement, that statement, that action of love that this world has never seen is what fulfills God's mercy for us. And so now Peter is going, not only does God extend that mercy to us, but he extends it in love to us. So not only does he just forgive you and pour grace on you, but he's saying, I love you. And I'm showing you that love through my son who lived and died for you and then rose for you. Man, that's salvation. That's the new hope. That's the new birth. That's the foundation. But now you got to glue it all together. So you got to have this, you got to pour the cement in there to glue it all together. Now, obviously I'd be doing this in a wheelbarrow and shaking it up and then putting it in there. It doesn't work that way, but he puts the cement in there and that binds it together. And what's the cement from those flowery words that we read? The cement is, it's into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading. That's the cement. It will never change. God's faithfulness will never change. 
His mercy that he extends to us every day will never change. Jesus' love for us will never change. Peter is saying, we have to stand on that foundation before we roll up our sleeves. Because if we roll up our sleeves first and we're just doing it that way, we, we, lose, we lose sight of what God has done. We focus more on what we are doing and it becomes a very self-centered faith. It becomes a very self-righteous faith where we just look at how I need to extend my mercy on somebody else and judge them. It becomes a self-righteous faith. It becomes just a selfish faith. And he's saying, and it's one that will fall when the hard stuff happens. But he's going, we have to set up a foundation on God's mercy through Jesus' love that will never change. And when we stand and put our weight down on this foundation, now, now roll up your sleeves. Now walk this way. Now hear the rest of my scripture and hear the rest of my words. Now hear them with what God has done. Now what we're doing, think about this. This is all of what God has done. His mercies to us. Jesus' love for us. His unchanging character. It's all of what God has done. Now what we're doing. He's saying now, now hear my truth. Stand on that and move. That's why when we start, when we look back at those words that we read, although you have not seen him, you love him. Why? Because of that foundation. And even though you don't see him now, you believe in him. Why? Because of that foundation. And rejoice with an indescribable and glorious joy for you are receiving the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your soul, not for some day when you take your last breath, but for today when he extends his mercy again to you again today. And that's what we get to stand on. And there we roll up our sleeves. I'm telling you guys, when we start to finally capture this, and I know some of you have heard it a thousand times, but when you finally start to capture this in your heart and in your minds, the rest of scripture comes alive. Jackie's down there in Cuba. And what I wanted to do for her is I wanted to just give her some passages through, through each day that, to, that would help her to just kind of remember what God has done for her. And, and so, so my prayer for her while she's been down there is that she would stand on the foundation of God's mercy extended to her today through the love of Jesus that will not, not change. And then hear the words. And so today she read this, blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And I'm, I'm praying that that's what, that's what she hears is, is because of what God has done, I'm going to believe the promises of what he's given to me. Tomorrow she's going to read, honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring her praise at the city gates because she and those other ladies are rolling up their sleeves. And I want them to be able to stand on the foundation of truth and roll up your sleeves. And on the last day before she comes home, it's going to say she is clothed with strength and dignity and laughs with fear of the future. And I want her to read that going, and you can trust. In the, in the questions of what's next, in the, in the hardship that you would face, in the persecution, if we would use that word, I want you to trust in the foundation that you stand on, that it will not be shaken 
It will not be moved. That foundation, no matter what happens in your life, will never change. His mercy will be new for you today and his love for you is poured out on you for, his, for eternity. Peter writes this from the perspective of someone that saw it all happen and watched Jesus conquer death, promise a new birth and a hope for eternity. From there, we would roll up our sleeves and we would serve him. Not to earn that, but because of that, because of all that he has done, we respond and say, that's a God that's so worthy of being loved and served. And I'm gonna live my life and serve him that way. And so when I'm on my quest for what is my true self, at the very, very core of who I am. Who am I? I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God that is in desperate need of his mercy today. And I'm a child of God that will be in desperate need of his mercy tomorrow. And I'm a child of God that is in desperate need of the love of Jesus. And I'm a child of God that needs that love to never, ever, ever change. And Jesus, I want to follow you and I want to learn your way. But I'm going to stand on that foundation. Father, we pray that you would help each one of us to, to start there. We so want to hurry to what we need to do or what we should do. We want to hurry there, but God help us to start there. And God, may, may in starting there, may that be, may that, may that may that generate a thankfulness in us of what you've done. May that generate a, an awe of what you've done. May that churn up in us a, a, a deep, deep affection and love for you because of your love for us. And I do pray, Lord, for the person in this room right now that is going through it, that the snowball just keeps getting bigger and bigger that the pain is getting worse, that the disappointment is, is, is so hard to bear that they don't have a faith that can stand up to it or an obedience that would either. And I pray, Lord, that they would recognize that they can stand on a foundation that does, is not shaken and does not change. And today they can find hope, hope in your words of salvation. It's in your name we pray, amen.